The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 34, Afterthoughts on Atheism. In a series of podcasts as involved as this one on atheism's definition, you end up generating a whole series of thoughts and ideas that don't make the cut. This week, I'd like to wrap up this series by presenting some of these leftovers. Atheists continually strawman theism as belief without reason or evidence. Christians consistently paint atheism as irrational. Both assertions are silly. Christian doctrine teaches that all human beings are created in the image and likeness of the Creator. Atheism could not maintain a perennial appeal if it were truly and wholly irrational. Atheists consider themselves as supremely rational, and not without reason, as they have elevated rationality to a supreme value, an idol. Atheists, thus, have a motive for distorting the notion of faith. They want to believe that they are not believers, that they stand on purely rational ground. This specific belief is irrational, as I think we have adequately argued in the course of this series. They want to paint faith as irrational in order that their own position might have a special status, though when pressed, they can never quite spell out the nature of that status. Hence, the definitional dance in which they constantly engage, switching from one definition to another. Admittedly, we can believe for bad reasons, and or with bad or inadequate evidence, but we cannot believe without reason or evidence, for the same reason that atheism cannot be a lack of belief in a god or gods, as we argued in podcast 29. A faith without object is not a consciousness at all, as all consciousness is consciousness of something which is not, of course, an argument for God's existence, as consciousness of a unicorn does not itself imply a unicorn's existence. Faith Biblical faith is difficult to clearly understand, as it seems to be a mix of rational assent and practical resolution, of action and thought. For instance, Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. As an atheist, I used to say to Christians who would question me that I had no problem believing that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, but that I could not believe that he exists. There is, then, a duality to biblical faith, 
a combination of what we sometimes call head knowledge and heart knowledge, of rational assent and active commitment, or real-life activity, of an integration of the whole person in belief. The Bible gives to the confession of Christ, to the use of language, the word, a vital role in conversion. There is great importance in the word, perhaps in the engagement of the will that language requires, the ability of our word to bind us in commitment. Language is more than just assent or dissent from a proposition. In declaring a position, we are, at some level, aligning ourselves with its logical implications, whether we fully understand them or not. As I draft this episode, I am memorizing the books of James and 1 John, and they too make the point that there is an active component to faith. Quote, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. James 2.22 And, whoever says I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. 1 John 2, 4-5 I make this point, of course, to reinforce the notion that our Hegelian continuum asserts that how we act ideally lines up with our faith claims, but that in Shadowland they often do not making room for a confusion between the tendencies of atheism and theism in practical and theoretical life. While professing atheism, I lived as if God existed. And to a greater or lesser extent, I would argue that many atheists and theists live in conflict with their stated creed, however unconsciously. I would actually argue that some of the most prominent names among atheists today could plausibly be placed in this latter category. For instance, Sam Harris seeks a universal ground for ethics. He believes that there are real, objective right and wrong answers to ethical questions. He thinks that spirituality, sans any supernatural grounding for it, is both useful and an important part of human flourishing. This is not, of course, equivalent to theism. But it is acting as if there is a transcendent reality or truth to be discovered, a real right and wrong, a truth with objective boundaries. I think I make a convincing case that ontological rationality, particularly ethics, indexes the supernatural. I maintain that at the level of ontology, of life as lived, Sam Harris and other atheists have not turned their backs wholly on God. These new atheists, after all, fancy themselves Enlightenment rationalists, and the Enlightenment was no accident of history. But, as many scholars, including Nietzsche, have pointed out, the natural outgrowth of the disciplined and systematic rationalism of Christian Europe. Judeo-Christian theism sees God in three ideals. 1. God is ultimate reality, 
being itself, the great I am. 2. God is truth, the word. And 3. God is the good, value itself. These ideals correspond to the three divisions of philosophy, metaphysics, epistemology, and axiology. The Trinitarian conception of God is no accident, but an essential feature of the Creator and the world He formed. If we think of atheism as the attitudinal urge to purge God from human practice and thought, it would follow that atheism is a retreat from reality, truth, and value, the pursuit of nihilism. This is, arguably, the tendency of our world in the post-Hegelian framework, but not that of the new atheists. The wokists in our current reality, taught well by the critical theorists, Marxists, and postmoderns that preceded them, hate reality, deny it freely in favor of a utopian vision, although this manifests itself more and less explicitly. Enlightenment rationalism, however, and the new atheists along with it, challenge the Hegelian views that progressively came to dominance in 20th century sociopolitics. In that sense, traditional theism has an ally in Enlightenment liberalism, the explicit target of the Hegelians. While in a confused sense denying God, Enlightenment atheists have, in practice, embraced a theistic world, at least in practical terms, a world with real boundaries that must be respected and to which we must form ourselves. This is the scientific view, the view that our world is something we must investigate, respect, discover, and adapt ourselves to through careful empirical and rational work. In that sense, then, many of today's atheists practically fall much closer to theism on our continuum. The more robust atheism on our definition is often quieter, though more insidious, than Enlightenment atheism. Hegelian atheism, if I may coin a phrase, more consistently aligns its metaphysical commitments with its practice. When the Soviet communists denied God, their practice aligned quite closely with their beliefs, as have all other regimes of this sort. Ethical action for them is justified by its end. If the spirit of atheism is denial, what are these more radical Hegelian atheists denying? Not truth, but defined truth. Not value, but defined value. The existing, the historical, the traditional, and that to which these point. In a word, the transcendent. They're denying God as being, as constraining reality. In his place, any such vacuum will always be filled, they assert human freedom human will. In Hegelian relativism, reality and truth become infinitely plastic, infinitely moldable. This denial of transcendence is the desire to be 
God. Or as Sartre would have it, to found being in ourselves. This form of atheism, then, becomes what Kant called empirical idealism. The faith that we can create whatever reality we choose, that there is no transcendent order, no real constraint. While we can conceive of a pure iteration of the theistic ideals in the being of God, we cannot positively conceive of a pure iteration of the atheist tendency, as it is the negation of the positive, the realization of nothing. In Shadowland, value can be neither created nor destroyed, but it can be manipulated. As Nietzsche asserted, even trans-valued. We see then why there is always some redeeming residue in even the worst of the atheistic tendencies, and why they can be so effectively marketed as good. Human beings cannot, for instance, abandon or destroy value. They can, however, twist value hierarchies, trans-value value. As Nietzsche said, they can also devalue, seek the destruction of established values, seek to overturn a structural good, all in the name of value. For, as Aristotle said, every action aims at some good. In all Hegelian manifestations, founded as they are in imminence, there is an element of good, of truth. To choose one value and raise it above all the others is the constant trick. There are no new values. To say that this aspect of God, and if we are atheists, then it is the principle and not the person that is set forth, is now the ruling principle, can capture our intellect our imagination, our ethical sentiments. We are drawn at the ontic level to moral value, but we can also become blinded by it when we set up one aspect as more central, more important than another. What such a transvaluation lacks is the balance of the whole. God in all his aspects, not a limited embrace of only one, or a small collection of traits. God is love and vengeance, reward and punishment, freedom and restraint. A balanced understanding requires the panoply, the person, and not a single chosen attribute. When a modern says something like, love is love, they are pulling this trick. They are playing a subset of morality against the whole of morality. Love is love, but it isn't, unless we understand love as a complex balance of values, rather than the thin, pasty thing that passes for it on today's common glosses. As Aristotelian virtues used to teach us, unbalanced virtue is vice. 
Giving all children participation trophies is not kind, no matter how appealing it may be to our superficial moral sense. It is unkind. It is cruel. Values are hierarchically organized, and there is an objective ideal structure. We are blinded by our own imaginative hubris that we know better. While we suppress the other obligations the objective structure would press upon us, and all too often the very real negative consequences of our willing blindness. It is vital to understand, however, that our ability to negate, to deny, to question what is, is integral to our rationality, and is constitutive of imagination. The discovery of agency, for instance, came as we began to question, and questioning is founded on the ability to negate. The ability to deny God is part and parcel of our rational nature, our imagination, our ability to explain, to move from what is to what might be the case. The discovery of causality as a temporal structure stretching back into the past and forward into the future. All this is founded on our ability to negate presence in both the spatial and temporal senses of that term. Our ability to question, that is, is the flip side of our ability to deny. I do not believe that God is in the least threatened by our questioning anything, even his very existence, if, in questioning, we are honestly seeking truth. Indeed, there is a healthy element of play in this assertion of human will, of testing the limits of constraint, that is, in itself, good, as is everything that God has made. It was said for centuries that if God meant human beings to fly, he would have given them wings. There are, indeed, natural constraints on the human ability to fly. But discovering and quantifying those constraints, understanding them, questioning them, enabled us to overcome them. Questioning our common sense view of the natural world let us out into space, and down into the subatomic structures of quantum mechanics. This is not opposing divine constraints, but respecting them, living within them, playing by the rules of the game. When we believe the rules to be real, existent, constraining, we understand the game better, and we can play it more successfully more effectively. Thus, our faith is tested against the world by living it and noting the results. This is the essence of the scientific method, and it is no accident it evolved in the Western world. Respect for the laws of nature, for existence, is practically indistinguishable from respect for divine rule. All through the Christian atheist runs the theme that there is a way that leads to truth and life. 
It is my explicit goal to point others to that way, not to convert them to my way of thinking. As a citizen of Shadowland, my way is a mixed-up combination of truth and error. I don't have it all sewn up, and I learn new things every day, including failure and errors in my actions and thinking. It is, and always has been, God that leads others to himself, and he who is truth, not me. I would not call Sam Harris a theist because he seems to be seeking, knocking, and following. But I would contend that in doing so, he has stepped on that way that leads to life, which is logic itself. I have faith that God's way appeals to that divine spark in each human breast, and that it is the best hope for human flourishing. In my concluding episode on ethics, I asserted that while there are two paradigmatic responses to God's light, that of Cain and that of Abel, no one is ever wholly one or the other. That the mixture of the two in our present world creates the twilight through which we stumble towards the light. This view is consistent with what the Bible says about atheism. Cain knew God, but lived as if he was irrelevant to his practice. The dichotomy between what we believe and how we act is everywhere evident. As in James, even the demons believe and tremble. We might call this the spirit of atheism. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. In the Bible, the heart stands for the whole man. Mind, soul, reason, thoughts, motives, and beliefs, all of which issue in action. Psychology teaches us that much of who and what we are and believe is not explicitly conscious, like the iceberg with just a small bit sticking above the water's surface. Abel views God's objective value structure as the boundary within which his freedom plays, while Cain sees only the cage against which he must rage. The way of Cain, then, is a resentful attempt to cheat. The rules of the game, however, punish cheating. Thus, the petulant resentment that both motivates and follows denial of the rules continues to metastasize, especially in the face of success by those who do respect the rules and gain the benefits. Atheism, in its purest form, is the futile attempt to purge God from consciousness, from life. It is futile because it is impossible. And I don't mean that in vague terms, but in a very specific and definite way. It cannot be done. To purge consciousness of transcendence and its ideals is to lose human consciousness, to decline to the subhuman. This is exemplified in the story of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. We can, of course, embrace this at the explanatory level of metaphysics. 
but we cannot live it. Just as we cannot live as if we are not free to choose. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.